0: all right welcome to the band advice podcast the Matt and Mark show at least that's what we're calling it right now Uh, my name is Mark and this is Matt how you doing doing well doing well man good to see you. golly it seems like forever since we've hung out together but then again it doesn't does it right man it's the same old thing i just realized the other day it's like it's been 26 years wow 26 years since i answered that fateful little hand-drawn bulletin of yours (laughs) in wentz hall about starting up a band yeah i remember that yeah i was was two years old then
1: (laughs) (laughs) yeah exactly me too right
0: yeah we were a bunch of hoodlums but, yeah, that's, that's kind of the thing. Matt and I have been playing together uh, off and on for 26 years. We've uh, had our fair share of uh, successes, fair share of fights and stuff, <laughs> and uh, crazy antics that seem to uh, always come along with this business. So, But, you know, it's it's all good. So, um, yeah, it's all good. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, 26 years ago, you know, you, uh, you put that flyer out there. I was kind of doing the acoustic stuff, and I was going to play down a Willie's. So I called him up Says, hey, do you got an acoustic guitar? Let's put together a couple songs. Do you remember the three songs we did at Willie's that night?
1: Um, let's see. It had to have been, I don't remember. <laughs>
0: <laughs> it was, Melissa was one of them. Okay. I remember that one. Uh, Lodi. Little CCR. O-I-L-C-R-I. Lodi, CCR, and, I, yeah. uh, and I know we did an Eagles tune. I was trying to remember if that was Peaceful Easy Feeling or Take It Easy. I'm almost thinking it might have been Peaceful.
1: Yeah, it was one of them.
0: But we did those three. uh, He lent the vocals and lead guitar. I did the rhythm and some harmonies. And uh, it was a good old time. Yeah,
1: yeah. Stillwater was cool then. You know, there was that Willie's was down there on the strips where Garth started playing. And when I got down there, I was just like, man, I want to get out there and start playing. And so I had my roommate make that flyer up (laughs) and uh, hung it down there and all over the residence halls and stuff. And I got some doozies, people calling me and and, uh, but You know, I met Mark, and it was like, hey, what are you doing Tuesday night? Let's go down to Willie's. I'm like, uh, (laughs) what? We're already going to be playing here? I'd probably been playing, you know, I guess I was 20 then, so I'd been playing probably. How'd you
0: get into the bar if you're 20?
1: Oh, you know, (laughs) uh, the FBI let me in. (laughs) I see, I see.
0: That is a a story for another podcast later on, so I'm sure we will cycle back through that at some point. in man, oh, man, that's crazy. But yeah, we did that, had a good time. And then well, about a week later, you, you called me up and hey, they got this this new cappuccino bar that's opening up. Sweet ideas, right? Yeah, so, the coffee shop. And they were, they were looking for uh, some uh, acoustic musicians. So we went down and we auditioned. And uh, I think we did the same three songs. And uh, I remember uh, Sam.
1: <laughs> oh, yeah, the manager.
0: Sam, the manager. Uh, he's, he's also a, a musician, but he's, he's a little... Animated, we'll just say he was animated. And, he was animated, yeah. Uh, <laughs> he, uh, he really enjoyed what we were doing, and I, I do remember him saying, Well, how long have you guys been playing? And then we're like, Uh, been playing together about two weeks, and he about fell out of his chair. Yeah, I swear, he's just like, Two weeks. Ah! But it worked out great. I mean, we ended up landing, well, that fall, we had landed probably about four or five gigs there. And then that next spring, we were every other week there and every other week in another coffee house. And mm-hmm. we did manage to get a paying gig at Willie's, which happened to be election night when, oh, right. when Slick Willie got uh, I elected. I remember that. Yeah, I remember that. All five people showed up because they thought there was going to be a you know big crowd come in after the, the polls closed. And yeah. It's like, it's oh, Tuesday night. Come on. Uh, <laughs> so we got that gig. And uh yeah, I had a good time in Stillwater. Well, I remember I remember getting
1: that getting the gig of Sweet Ideas. It was like, okay, we only got maybe three songs, and they're wanting us to play for two hours. <laughs> and so I remember, you know, ditching off some homework just to be able to yep. memorize all these lyrics and do all this stuff. And it was kind of like, you know, for me, it was the first time I'd ever really played like an acoustic type band doing a lot of the lead singing and stuff like that. Prior to that, I just played guitar, and, you know, I was that was when I was really kind of getting my sea legs is to be able to play <laughs> and sing and, you know, that kind of stuff. And so, you know, it wasn't perfect. It wasn't probably even much of it very good, but, I mean, it was good enough to play at the college coffee shop and entertain people for a couple of hours.
0: That is true.
1: And, you know, that's just something I can't stress enough is, like, you know, if you want to do this, you got to go out there and do it.
0: Mm-hmm. Got to get in the trenches.
1: You know, and I feel like, okay, I can sit in my room and play songs. But when I go out there in front of people, it's a whole different story.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Know? And that
1: really helped a lot because we got a lot of performing experience in a short amount of time. <laughs> that is true. And, uh, you know, then I guess it was like the end of that year, you 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 moved back up here to Tulsa. Mm-hmm. And we played, you know, a few gigs. And <laughs> <laughs> yeah, because
0: about two years later, we did uh, reunite, because I think you were you were winding down your college career at that time and yeah we played a couple gigs and then you were focusing on your band and i was uh i don't know what i was doing i think you were <laughs> up
1: here working a mohawk
0: that's right yeah I was, I was trying to earn enough money to get out of mom and dad's house and yeah. uh, you know writing songs and things like that and then then i guess it was what early 2000 we we got you started playing down at the is as a friend of mine called it the taco stand it was uh, down at the river parks oh yeah and yeah you were playing there and i'd come down and open up for you and you, you finally twisted my arm to put the band back together yeah we had a <laughs> we had about a three-year stint where we were just gosh almost every week we were playing just about every dive bar in this town yeah <laughs> you know one
1: thing was cool was like when we did that deal uh I was playing mandolin and you were playing guitar and singing and Steve was playing oh, bass yeah. and Marf was playing bongos. It was a happy hour gig. <laughs> yeah, warming up at the what was it, half yard the line. Half yard
0: line, right?
1: Yeah, that was fun because was. you know you get in there and you play an hour or two and then you're done and yep. then you know I'd hang around for the headline band or whatever and but that was cool. That was a good time.
0: We didn't make any money doing it, but we did get a couple of free <laughs> free beverages out of the deal, so which was know, important to me at the absolutely. time. Absolutely, <laughs> you know when when. You're a poor working musician. A free beverage goes a long way. So. <laughs> yeah, sometimes all the way to Tulsa County Jail. Oh, well, the, once again, that is uh, for another podcast. Uh, <laughs> rock and roll lifestyle, I tell you. It's crazy. It's crazy, the stories we could tell, Mr. Ditch Boy. Uh, and we'll end one more subject for another podcast. Yeah. <laughs> but, the, you know, when did we start recording
1: that stuff out at my place in Catoosa there? That was oh, man. That was like two thousand.
0: That was right. That was 2001 because I remember we were, uh, you know, well, we had gotten some gigs around town and we played at the Blue Rose, which was a really cool uppity. We call it the the Doctor and Lawyer Motorcycle Bar.
1: Oh yeah, uh, and well, that was, it was that Brookside. was a place.
0: That, yeah, it was on Brookside. and That was the place to play, and uh, we landed a gig there. But it just happened to be on September 11th, 2001. So we went out and did the show. There wasn't a whole lot of people there. And what was, the, what was their excuse? Oh, you guys didn't bring in a lot of people. Well, see, here's the thing uh. is I
1: called them before we went down there. I mm-hmm. said, listen, I've seen what's happened on the news. Have you seen what's happened on the news? This was 9-11, our first gig at a you know, place on Brookside. And uh, I, I asked him, I said, are you sure you want us to come down there? I just think the country is under siege, and I think that people are going to be really – sticking close to home (laughs) and their Mm -hmm. TV and you know looking back on it we probably should have canceled that because when you go into a new place you want to go in there with the cards stacked in your favor yes number one it was Tuesday night Mm -hmm. number two it was what's going on in the United States oh my gosh what has happened that was that was kind of a sidestep we should have sidestepped uh instead of <laughs> gone forward and you, you just don't realize that yeah. one at the time you just you know you go with what they say well at the you know after it was like well you didn't bring anybody down here and blah 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 and i'm just like you know that's kind of de rigueur of a lot of these things True. You know? you've got to go in there and have the cards stacked in your favor mm-hmm. and that was not one of those cases
0: <laughs> no nope, it was not so but yeah you had the, the studio because i remember i was spending a, gosh, many a all nighters. there trying to think. Well, should we write some sort of uh, patriotic song or things like that? And it's just everything seemed kind of forced, mm-hmm. as far as I was concerned. Yeah. So. But uh, yeah, you wrote some good tunes. You and I wrote some good tunes together. Some that have even appeared on your CDs. Yeah. So
1: absolutely, yeah, that was. Stuff. We, we did a lot of stuff there, and I was thinking about that on the way down here. I was like, you know, I still got those ADAT machines. I still got those ADAT tapes. I do too. <laughs> and we probably got, you know. I'd say there's a dozen songs on there in various states of completion, and you know that was like a bunch of the stuff that we played when we opened for America Kane's mm-hmm. the Ballroom there. That was like two thousand two. Yep, when we did that, and I remember playing, you know, uh, oh, good friends and a bottle of wine, and uh, what was the other one? Oh. Life was foggy since then. <laughs> <laughs> that was a long time ago. Yeah, that and I was, I was like, yeah, I was always, I was thinking about that. I was like, man, we should finish that up and get it, to get that out there. Because sure, I'd like to hear it at least, nonetheless, see how, it, see it sounds like. Well,
0: I've, I've got a couple a laying around here too, in various. Uh, states of de- decomposition I would think by now yeah. uh, I don't know what it would take uh, I have an old pro tools rig that I finally decommissioned too. it was a 2001 pro tools rig oh wow uh, in fact I can't even find a pc to run it on anymore because it has, it has to run on windows xp I'm it's, amazed the technology how it goes oh you know? sure
1: I'm just really amazed and it's like you know because back then I was more hands-on to it you know mm-hmm. I, when I got that at and you got that other at then we started, you know, trying to record stuff out there. I, you know, got all that equipment we were using live, and you know, it was more hands-on. And then later on, I started working with some other people that handled all the tech part of it. And you know, now I'm just amazed at the way things have gone. The way, you know, things that were real expensive and state-of-the-art now are just boat anchors. You know, oh, no doubt, no
0: doubt. <laughs> and you can't find anybody. It's like. I saw a guy on Craigslist trying to get rid of a couple of his ads. Yeah. And he says, come and get them. And I'm like, hey, if you find somebody who wants them, I've got two more that you can come and get from me, too. Yeah, <laughs> so, right. I uh, think,
1: you know, maybe one use for them is like a kind of a patch bay type thing.
0: That's you, a possibility. You know,
1: where you just run, you're running in and then you're running out. And then, you know, they've got those light pipes out and stuff. And that might be beneficial in some, some ways. Mastering,
0: but, yeah. possibly. But, so uh,
1: I'm not really exactly sure, but, you know. It's funny, because I remember those ADATs. Remember when Daddy-O had that thing? uh water uh-huh, yeah. He had a little studio in the back there. And I mean, I remember it was like, man, he's got an ADAT. Those were like three grand. Uh-huh, you know?
0: uh-huh. <laughs> That's crazy. And then, you know, later, you can't give them away. Right, and now we're doing everything on GarageBand, which comes free with your Macintosh. Isn't that <laughs> yeah, crazy? Right. And it's got ten times the power that those ADATs did. Yeah, well, even when I had, I got that uh, the HD24,
1: which was the... Uh, hard disk recorder. Oh, yeah. Next generation of the ADAT. You know, my friend Les bought that machine in like 2005, and it had been out for a couple of years, but it was still pushing a couple of grand, and it recorded on those uh, hard drives that were like, I want to say it came with a 40 gig and then uh, that's pretty intense back then yeah and so you know it was like put put the hard drive in this little carrier and it goes in there and you had 24 (laughs) track digital and he recorded a lot of stuff on that for us and you know then later i tried to use it again well heck you can't even buy the hard drives that size anymore right then so you try a bigger hard drive that you can buy and it throws up all these error codes so technology is a real it's a real albatross around my neck i know because i I just want to make music and the technology gets in the way, you know, and keeping up with the formats and the all this stuff is a real challenge, I
0: feel like. You know, sometimes, because I, I work in the software business, and, and I'm always this guy, it's like I, I want to build the next big application and stuff that we work on. But the company is tends to be like, well, why don't we just farm it out? And it's like, that drives me nuts. But I can, in a way, kind of see it. It's like you got these people that are experts in building this particular software to do this thing. Granted, yes, I could do it, but wouldn't it sometimes make more sense just to let the professionals do it? And that's yeah. you know, I kinda see kinda see where, where that can go with us too. We'll it's like, assert- you know, for sure, spend time doing what you do and that's making music and and you know let somebody else worry about the mixing and mastering and things like that especially especially my ears as old as they're getting these days but well it just
1: sometimes helps to have another set of ears you know and then you know the other thing is just like any business you know it's like focus on what you're good on right right focus on what you are good at your core competencies focus on that Mm -hmm. then be able to um delegate the other things to people who's you know Core competencies are website development, right? Or, right, you know, mastering or any of those kind of things like that. You know, I mean, you can do it all yourself, you certainly can, but I feel like to keep it flowing good and and, and easy, it's like you got to kind of assemble a little team around you mm-hmm. to be able to do it all. It's just hard to, you know, uh, to, to do everything yourself is possible, but it takes 10 times as long a lot of times.
0: Yep it's definitely a lesson I'm learning now as I'm trying to uh get my music out there and I'm I'm doing releases and things and just just the 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 hassle of getting it registered with SoundExchange and getting it th- this out there and that out there get it on Spotify then you got to even Get out there and try to talk to people, put it on their, their playlists and uh, you know, get it out there on YouTube and, and the whole social media thing. It's like, man, I just want to record stuff and I want everybody to listen to it. Right. Well how do I then, fill in that piece right there? Yeah, <laughs> making
1: making the product is just all that is is a, a ticket to the to the top of the next trailhead. Right, right. I mean you can make an album and then what? Okay. Right. Then the real work starts. Sure. Absolutely. And so that and like you're saying, hey, Send a message to these people that want to review it. Send it the message to these people that want to put it on a playlist. You know, promote it here, promote it there. How do you do that? How mm-hmm. do you get the most out of the resources that are out there? And, you know, it's like, man, it's like wrestling a ten-headed monster, you know, because there's so <laughs> many directions you can go. And next thing you know, you've you've sat there all afternoon and, well, I've gone down this rabbit hole of this or that or the other thing, and you're like, what was I trying to do in the first place?
0: <laughs> exactly. <You
1: know? laughs> no doubt. And so it's really a challenge. And, you know, just having one or two or four or five other people, I mean, anybody that's doing this with any kind of seriousness, they've got other people working with them for them.
0: Right. Know. And that's that's the benefit with the record labels. They had the people on staff to do it. And they could you know, assign four or five projects to each person instead of having one person that you've got to paid to handle this one project mm-hmm. and, you know and that's that was kind of thing we saw you know throughout our 26 years we saw the the explosion of the indie label now indie labels have always been around but usually they've been with more of your you know you're your off middle of the road you're not your middle of the road stuff you know your blues or your jazz and things like that but you know with the hip-hop and those guys and rick rubin man you really saw indie labels come into this but they they had to be battling the same problems because now you got this the staff of people but you only have one or two products that they're, you're really pushing it's like how do you how do you finance that you know how do you keep it going and you know the, the indie guys always try to i got the impression i i haven't dealt with them but i always got the impression that the indie labels were a little more fair to the the artists i would hope so but uh but that comes at a cost because they're not going to have the, the, the staff and the reach and the budget to mm. get international.
1: And, you know, those indie labels, all a lot of them got absorbed by the big ones once they started making enough noise.
0: Right. I saw something about that the other day, too. In fact, where the indie labels are actually kind of using it like a launching pad. It, it's kind of like, uh, gosh, back in the 20 years ago when the whole microbrew thing started taking off mm. and, you know, Miller and all those guys were buying up these these little breweries to, to you know the small microbrew and uh, they even launched one called Plank Road Brewery which is just a shelter you know and it was there was Miller beer that was being marketed as an indie thing and they the labels are doing the same thing you know they were they'll have an artist and that'll be kind of the, the artist development they'll put them on this indie label and see what they do and you know see they can be a little more edgier and stuff and
1: yeah know. definitely this big, the bigs are were all about the mainstream consumption right and so you know like okay Nirvana was on sub pop right Okay, and there was there was a big underground scene. There still is in in the Pacific Northwest, and so, you know, Sub Pop got absorbed somehow later on. But you know, they they made I think their first first couple albums maybe even on Sub Pop, and so Sub Pop was just you know, uh, one little operation doing it on their own. You know, right. DIY. I mean, putting out flyers. Uh, calling people at zines, uh, you know, booking their artists, trying to get anything they could get out there and, you know, promote what they were doing. And, you know, it was different then as, as opposed to now, as just how it all goes. You know, now it's not so much that you really need that. Mm-hmm. You know, and when I went to meet him in 05, it was like, I was just, my whole image of the whole industry was really shattered. It was Mm -hmm. really changed by just sitting and talking with some of these people at labels that I felt like, wow, you know, any band on on this label is probably doing really well. And (laughs) and what the answers were was surprising. It really was. You know, one uh, label told me that, okay, we've got 60 artists on our roster. That means that we don't have the funds nor the... Uh, manpower nor the capacity to put out a record for each one of our acts every year Mm. you know and so we got to pick the five or six that we want to work on this year and you know it's going to take some some buy-in from them Mm -hmm. as well as buy-in from us because we feel like you know these are five or six things that are really going to be able to launch us further along and you know some of these other ones they're still in development Uh, they don't have maybe a a lot of you know time to go and and hang out with some band in lafayette indiana and say hey you know this is real good but when you go into the studio in a year we want you to have this tighter we want you to make some cuts here Mm -hmm. you you know you you just don't get that and so as a result it's good for the fan and it's good for the band because you got to you know, it was a little more unbridled, you know, mm-hmm. I mean, when you're working at, 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 you know, major label level, especially back then, you know, it's, it was not quite as, as doomsday cutthroat <laughs> as it was before the internet really came around, but it was still, it was like, you know, if this tanks, somebody's jobs on the line. Right. And so they were real concerned with, you know, making the best product with the least fat they could. And so some stuff got through the cracks, but you know, a lot of great music came out that way, but, uh, the indie thing is really important and now it's like i always tell everybody man it is the greatest time to be an indie artist and it's also the worst time to be
0: an indie yeah artist. yeah because you know well the the thing is is that the internet changed a lot of that as you alluded to it's we no longer have we don't have to press well you don't press vinyl you don't have to press cds anymore i mean you can go digital on all this stuff and uh, you can do just the singles instead of having to come up with an entire album.
1: But if your fan base is 58 years old... You're going to want to have something you can handle, right? I mean, you're just not... You, the, they don't download stuff. Sure,
0: sure. It's it's going to be hard to sell them a little card with a QR code on it to to scan when you're at your gig, too. You know, people want stuff in hand. And, yeah. you know, I know you and I are talking about doing probably our next podcast about how you're approaching it and I'm approaching it. But Because as a DIY artist, it's, you do have several different ways of going about stuff. And... uh yeah like i said it depends on your fan base yeah and it
1: depends on kind of like you know what you want you know i've been like this year i've just really been watching or out there you know just what are these bands doing that i like you know what do they do okay well a lot of them are putting out vinyl and they're with the vinyl you get a download card right okay and then if they got a little more, little more money, maybe they'd go ahead and press a few CDs. You know, mm-hmm. CD pressing has come down so drastically in the last. It's amazing what it caught. Co- you know, it's just nothing now. What
0: is it running these days? Well,
1: I mean, the I looked, I looked at a, I think it was Easy Disc, and you can get a hundred CDs in sleeves for like a hundred dollars. Okay, you know, just a little. Uh, paper sleeve you you provide the artwork you design the mm-hmm. paper sleeve mm-hmm. you know and it's car, you know cardboard paper whatever i mean you know and so as a result i mean there's no there's no such thing as a 20 cd anymore I mean, right it's amazing what you go buy and you see it's like 4.99 in the store <laughs> it's like so right. you know it's brought down the price of cds but i mean i don't sell a lot of cds at the on off the bandstand anymore i mean it's it's just not the same as it was back right. then it just isn't And, you know, I guess if you're maybe going after the younger people, they, they don't, they don't own anything.
0: No, just, they want
1: to listen to it on YouTube or they might download it this week and then subscribe
0: to a streaming service. Yeah,
1: exactly. And so it's just really different how people get music and you know what our job is to figure out, well, what way is the best way? Well, you just don't know. until You don't.
0: As soon as you figure it out, it'll change.
1: Exactly. (laughs) And so, you know, getting it out there online, getting it out there on YouTube, getting it out there on, you know, all these all these outlets for music. And that's the cool thing is, it's not like all the gates have been busted wide open. Oh sure. I mean, and that's good and bad.
0: Right, because now you got everybody running through those yeah. gates too. And so now,
1: so. you know, you could go down here at Guitar Center, a couple miles away, and, and you know, by five o'clock, you could have yourself a little rig and go home and and have an album finished and. A matter of time and probably burn a cd right there and you know Mm -hmm. get it out online whatever you want to do and so it's it's the good and the bad but you know it's our job to figure out well you know what is what is my fan base and where are they and how do i reach them and how do i get them to you know support me and my music the other thing is just trusting people to Mm -hmm. like understand that Hey, this is the way things are now. And I mean, I try to like any band I like, I'll, I'll buy their record.
0: Right, know? right.
1: And so I'll buy the record, but I may well listen to mostly on YouTube or their website or mm-hmm. their band camp or their, or, 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 or. <laughs> you know, now when I'm, you know, at home, I'll, I'll bust that album out and it's, you know, colored vinyl, limited edition. What, <laughs> you know, I love stuff like that. Sure. I'm a sucker for it. I yeah. love it. And so it's different that way. And so you almost got to like, playing the music's one thing, then marketing the music's another, you know? I mean, there there was marketing departments at all those big labels. There's marketing departments in any company, you know, that, and, and they work exclusively on marketing. They're not working on writing songs or getting musicians together, any of that. They're working on how we can we sell this? How can right. we tie in this record store in-store when they're playing in Dubuque, Iowa? <laughs> you know, that's what they're working on, you know? Sure. But now you get to do it all yourself.
0: Right. Ah, And that's that's the headache there. It is. And I mean,
1: it's possible, but it is just, I spend inordinate amounts of time doing that mm -hmm. very thing, you know.
0: And then trying to make sense of the, the analytics as well. It's like, why did I have, why am I getting here two days after Christmas? Is my Christmas song still getting played in the Netherlands? Hey, I'm glad the people in the Netherlands put it on their on their playlist, but it makes no sense to me. Well, I mean... Well, I've been to Amsterdam, so I guess it does kind of make sense to Well, me, you know,
1: <laughs> well, this thing is about, you know, like, because I, I, I grew up in the Catholic Church, and so they, they celebrate those Feasts of the Epiphany until, like, the first week of December. Oh, okay. And so the, you know, I remember playing We Three Kings and stuff like that, you know, January 6th, 7th, whatever. Mm-hmm. And so you know that so everybody's still in the christmas mood the christmas spirit so i think it's safe yeah, to fair enough. understand that you know
0: well he every spin gets me a half a penny so i'm okay with that Hey <laughs> man, spin. i'm about to be up to a two dollar air hey all right <laughs> all right well i mean we're getting close to the, the end of our time here but i do want to see you know what's your prediction you know we talked about what it was like when we started what it's like since we've been going what we've been doing what is your prediction now for the next heaven help us 26 years <laughs>
1: Wow. I mean, I think technology is going to continue to dictate how people get music, how people listen to music, how people perceive music. Mm-hmm. I think technology is uh, more and more, I mean, it's it's like, it's so strange because it's like, it's the best and the worst. That's yeah, all yeah. I can say, you know? It, it, it's the best in the way. It's like, hey, I can do a record. I don't need David Geffen to come tell me it's okay right. and give me $600,000 I have to pay back at 14% royalty. Mm-hmm. <laughs> which they're going to fudge that too. Sure. I don't have to wait for that. I right. can make my own album and do my own thing. And that's cool. That's great. But the worst thing is it's just that everybody else got the same idea and it's hard to, hard to rise above the din, you know? And you got to spend a lot of time doing that mm-hmm. um, as much as doing the music, you know?
0: Do you think there will be such a thing as CDs or purchasable media anymore? Or do you think it's all going to be streaming?
1: Well, one thing I really like is when artists put out, like, hey, here's a custom um, thumb drive. I've heard that. And, you know, we'll load it, we we got it loaded up with, you know, all this cool stuff and it's whatever it costs. But then, you know, every so often you can plug this thumb drive in and access our website and we'll have more stuff for you. So it's, you know, they call it like the living
0: album. Okay. Okay.
1: So it'd be like, you know,. uh, Okay, here's five live shows and, you know, 10 unreleased songs and it's such and such amount and then every so often you can plug into their website and access, you know, other other material just for this one price.
0: Yeah, cool. That's cool. That's I like that idea. Uh, A subscription model.
1: Yeah, and then, you know, it's just like there's so many different thumb drives you can get it's shaped like anything you can imagine right. and so but that's pretty neat I,
0: I was doing some research on that but now you're you're back up into the the cost factor because you can't get these thumb drives i mean unless you buy in super uber bulk you're mm. not going to get them less than seven or eight dollars a shot so now you're, you're pressing cds again i mean is it ever going to be simple to put out music and not have the the overhead of that i mean you can do the DIY streaming only kind of I mean, stuff. I mean, I
1: remember like, when CDs first came out, you see those ads, disc makers would, you know, those ads, and I think it was thousands of dollars. Oh, a sure. Of CD. And you had to do like, you know, 500 minimum. Or right, something right. Like that. And, or a thousand minimum. I, I got
0: a box of uh, about 472 left. So. <laughs> yeah. Because <yeah. laughs> I had that 500 minimum. So. Yeah. And so you're
1: like, you know, now it's not so much like that. I mean, a tower, you can get a tower, you can do it all yourself. And, you know, I, I don't know that. I I, I looked last time. I looked into that doing it yourself, doing the duplicating yourself, and and all that kind of stuff was just it was just as expensive, not more. Plus the time, and then you know the effort into doing doing it all yourself. Well, you're dealing with all.
0: CDR versus an actual glass press CD yeah. too. So you know, there's that perception of. Is this really a real one or is it a copy? So Yeah,
1: well, I think nowadays people don't really even make that distinction a lot of times. I don't
0: think people buy CDs anymore. <laughs> I, I
1: think that, you know, maybe, maybe so, maybe not. But I, I just feel like, hey, you know, everybody's got a, an album. Everybody's got a CD of mm-hmm. some sort. And it's, you know, you can call it a CD, you can call it an album. It doesn't have to be, you know, master level quality, you mm-hmm. know. And so that's, like I said, one of the big challenges is it's just rising above anything whatever your genre is go out and listen there's 10 reggae bands who are unknown to the rest of the world who could be famous yeah there's 10 death metal bands i mean it's just any genre you got there's numerous ones that are like wow you know these guys are just every bit as good as any sort of well-known band in their genre and they're just guys like you and i doing it Mm -hmm. somewhere in this world of ours you know and like I said, that's the cool thing about it, too, but it's also the hard thing about it.
0: <laughs> yeah, Yep. Yeah. All right, so you're predicting that uh, technology will keep going and providing new opportunities and stuff. My prediction is that you won't, you won't buy stuff on CD anymore. In fact, I seriously doubt if people actually buy music. I think they're going to just lease it. They're going to stream it. Uh, people do that with cars these days. Nobody really wants to make a long-term commitment, and even mm-hmm. though... Even though it's only $0.99, cents, there's still that perception. Right. It's well, that $0.99, cents, to... well, you can buy a cup of coffee for the same price as buying five five songs off of iTunes. Nobody balks at buying a cup of coffee, but, oh, oh $0.99 cents a song, what if I don't like it in 10 days?
1: You know what I've learned, too? People afford what they want to afford. Oh, sure. And they do what they want to do. Right. And there's just nothing you can do about it. Right. And so, you know, like, deeper into it, it's like, what I've been sort of trying to school myself on is like market marketing, but not marketing. You know, you've got to make these super fan. You're trying to create a super fan. And you're trying to create, you know, I just figure, hey, if I had 2,000 people around the world that loved everything I did and were interested in everything I did, that's all you really need to make a decent living at this. Right. But you have to, like, appeal to them in ways that aren't just buy my shit, you know. And that's the, and, and you know... <laughs> sort of showing, showing you in different, different light, not just, Hey, buy this, buy this, buy this. It's like, Hey, here's me hanging out with my buddy Mark doing a (laughs) podcast. Hey, here's me driving down the road. Hey, here's, you know, and and you got to kind of like get them hooked into like the whole Kardashian thing, your slice of life where they might be inclined to, you know, Hey, I've got all my catalog on sale for one low price right here, right now, you know, after ten videos they see they catch on to some reason maybe they maybe they become a super fan and so you know you're making music for them for the right. people that want to hear you who are interested in what you're doing and that takes a little bit of thought
0: sure and so the key is finding those fans yeah and
1: how do you get them out how and do you, how get do, them you do it
0: and how do you keep them too because you know, people's taste in music changes and you know the the songs they may like listening to now in a couple of years may they may just be over it so I,
1: I just think it seemed like you know to me just after all those years of teaching and everything dealing with people of all different ages I think nowadays you know the younger audience they they kind of like focus on one thing for a while mm-hmm. you know so okay I'm gonna download this song because I heard it on my friend's podcast on Soundcloud okay I'm gonna download this song I'm obsessed about this for two weeks then I'm gonna hear something else and then I'm obsessed about that right right and so it's not like you and I were like how many times have you listened to Pink Floyd, The Wall? Oh gosh! How many times have you played, you know, Led Zeppelin One? Uh-huh, I mean, you uh-huh. know, we're talking like hundreds, millions. You know, I mean, I've had them probably all in four formats at least. You know, and do
0: people even really listen to music? I mean, I remember, I remember being a kid and just I'll come home and I'll just lay there and I'll put my headphones on and just lights out and I just listen to the song. And I listen to yeah. different parts of it. I think listening to music today is is very passive. And I, as an adult and constantly on the go, I find. Even myself doing that, yeah. and there was a, a couple couple weeks ago, insomnia or whatever. So I just put headphones on, lay there, and I just listened. And man, it's like wow, I miss that. Yeah, I miss the just sitting there and immersing yourself in in, in the music and stuff. And I, I think that the today's generation just doesn't do that. It's a social just,
1: accessory. It's
0: it's a quick instant. Hey, here's this song. Give me my. Give me my 30 seconds of fun and move on to the next tweet. Mm-hmm. It's a social you
1: know? accessory. Right, just, so. it, and as musicians you know it's hard for us to realize that music is in everybody's life. What? <laughs> I don't understand don't do it this either, man. I
0: don't understand I don't know it hope either. Hope for
1: society, but music is not everybody's <laughs> life, and so they're not. You know, they're not listeners like we're listeners. Right? They right. may, they may think they are, and purport right. they are, but they're really not. Sure. sure. And you know, you you got to let them believe whatever they want, and you know, just accept the fact that it's a changing world, and there's a lot of stuff going past everybody's eyes. And how do you how do you get up above that? Right. right. That's the question. That's my prediction. Is Anybody that can figure that out, they'll be successful at it.
0: All right. Well, that's uh, I think that's about it for today and for this this podcast. I appreciate everybody dialing in and listening uh, to the inaugural run of the Matt and Mark Music Hour or 30 <laughs> Minutes or so. We'll come up with some sort of cool name in the future. But uh, anyway, uh, uh, welcome to the Band Advice channel and the Band Advice podcast. Uh, be sure to check out uh, our YouTube channel for other uh, assorted Stuffs, and uh, there will be a link for the Patreon account if you wish to donate. So, thanks a lot, Matt, and uh, look forward to our next conversation. Right on, man. And peace.